Well, hello there, and welcome to another edition of Servant's Heart Chapel. I hope uh, this particular episode is a special blessing to you. So let's get right to it. When the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray, he gave what we call the Lord's Prayer. It's a prayer like this, a simple prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses. We forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil for thine the kingdom and the power and the glory. Amen. Um, he mentioned, in, in, of all the things that Jesus could have mentioned in that very short and succinct prayer, he talked about temptation. We're to pray about being kept from temptation. And in fact, Jesus warned the disciples in the evening before his execution, uh, he said, pray that you would not, you will not be tempted. Um, it was a serious uh, thing that, that we needed to be cautious of and be wary of. And, and uh, <clears throat> Jesus warned us about. But what is temptation? I am not a very good fisherman at all. In fact, I joked about being cursed when it comes to fishing because usually whoever I go fishing with, uh, not only do I not catch anything, but whoever I'm with doesn't catch anything either. Uh, so I just fishing and me don't get along. Uh, and it's been a number of years since I've been fishing. But I do know enough about fishing to know that you want to catch a fish, you have the right bait or the right lure to attract that fish. And, and the fish is underwater and, and sees something, sees a, a bait that uh, it, it, the fish decides is food and the fish goes after or sees this, this uh, lure that's you know, the right color wrapping. And in fly fishing, they, you, know, you, you get the, the lure to move in a very specific manner to where the, the fish... Well, that's food. That's something I want. And the fish goes after it, drawn by its eternal appetite, its hunt for food, and it latches on only to secure its own demise, right? End up in our frying pan. That is temptation. The, the, the fish is tempted by this object that looks like something it really wants and James actually talks about the process of temptation. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to James real quick. James chapter 1. <clears throat> Beginning with verse 12. A man who endures trials is blessed because when he passes the test... He will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. No one undergoing a trial should say, I am being tempted 
by God, for God is not tempted by evil, and he himself doesn't tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desires. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. And so we see people being drawn like fish to different lures, different things in their lives by their own desires. Where the, what, what's going on is we're being drawn away from doing what is right. Something is enticing us to do something we know is wrong, and, but we're enticed by it because there's something inside us that wants it, and if we don't shut it down at that point, shut down that thought, that feeling, just claim, and we're going to talk more about that later on, Most of the down, it conceives and it gives birth to sin. Why? Because that that feeling, that drive, drives us to do something we know is wrong. And then so then we've sinned, we've committed sin. And and we continue in sin, and that will eventually lead to death. First, there's a spiritual death if you're you're, uh, uh, walking with God, if you're a Christian. And, and you and you get involved in sin, and, and I tell people, you know, no one is spiritually stagnant. Either you're drawing closer to God, or you're going away from God. And the moment you tell God no on something, you start pulling away from God, and the spiritual death begins to take place. Your heart grows cold, and you stop caring about things that you once cared about, and you start caring about things that are wrong, things that, that pull you, continue to pull you away from God. That's the process of, of temptation. I mentioned before how we're lured away like a fish is lured away, and there's a number of different lures. We're not going to cover them all, but we will talk about some of them. The first one we can find very early on in Genesis chapter 3 and by the way, I, I think I was talking to Missy. Um, I think after Easter, I am going to begin preaching through Genesis. Um, so that'll probably take a couple of years to do that from Easter to Advent um, uh, when I preach through books. And it'll probably take this year and next year uh, to get through all 50 chapters of Genesis. But Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. Very, there's no sin in the world at all at this point. Man had never sinned against God at this point. We don't know how long that had been. It could have been sin free for just a week. It could have been thousands of years. We actually don't know. But we know at some point, chapter 3, verse 6, says, Then the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at, and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. This this fruit, this tree that the fruit we were uh, God had instructed them not to eat. The day that you eat it, you shall die. And 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 she was enticed with this forbidden fruit, this lure of forbidden fruit. And we're still enticed by for, forbidden fruit things. 
that in the right context is a blessing of God, but we take it too soon, like maybe a couple who ends up having sex before they're married. They uh, that that this blessing that God intends to be a real blessing and an asset in a marriage has now been corrupted because they they took part in this forbidden fruit too early. It was forbidden to them at that point. Um, that's just one example of forbidden fruit. Another lure we find in Genesis chapter thirteen. Genesis chapter 13, begin with verse 10. This is Abram and Lot. They're, they're looking out and deciding they're going to divide up who has what. And, Lot, and Abram is giving a lot of choice. And Lot, uh, verse 10, Lot looked out and saw that the entire Jordan Valley as far as Zor was well watered everywhere, like the Lord's garden in the land of and the land of Egypt. Egypt was a lot greener than it is now. This is before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose the entire Jordan Valley for himself. Then Lot journeyed eastward and they separated from each other. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, but Lot lived in the cities of the valley and set up his tent near Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were evil, sinning greatly against the Lord. Lot had fallen for the lure of fertile fields. Oh, I look towards something, that's, that looks like a great benefit to me. But it's closer to sin. It's clo- there, there's much greater risk. There's further temptations. It's a very dangerous, spiritually a dangerous area to be in. Sometimes God calls us to different areas for our benefit. I one one person, one man I knew years ago. He was actually doing mate. He was a head maintenance guy for God's Bible School. Bud Dickinson. Bud Dickinson was a very talented man. He was, I've known nobody like him. I'm sure there are people as skilled as he is, but there's so few. I know of no other one. He can look at a machine he's never looked at before and, and figure out how to fix it. He just had that knack. He was very good at that. And, and he had taken a job with the school to help get this. The school was in bad shape. The buildings were falling apart. The infrastructure was in real rough shape. And, and they needed somebody really knowledgeable like him to kind of pull it together and, and get things fixed and get things taken care of. And they needed a strong personality uh, because the president of the school, uh, Vince Miller, had a very strong personality and, and could bully people uh, to get his way. And Bud wasn't having anything of that. And, and the first day that Bud... Uh, got to work, uh, uh, Vince Miller told him, the President Miller told him, now if I don't like you, I'm going to fire you. And Bud shot right back with, 
if I don't like you, I'm going to quit. And that's how their relationship started. And, and, he, and he, he transformed the school. I mean, just completely improved it, um, saved it from just being a pile of rubble before long. I mean, it was in really rough shape. Uh, but not long, a year or two into his time, well before he was done doing everything that needed to be done, a company reached out to him and offered, and this was in the 90s, early 90s, offered him a six-figure salary to come work for them. It was a lot of money back then. It was probably a quarter of a million dollars now, maybe 300000 now in today's money. Just a, a, a lot of money. And, and, and Bud could not do that. Like, how can I leave the school where it's at right now to go this, take this really good paying job? And so he resisted that temptation. And you know what? God's taking care of him. Him and Sherry, they're doing fine. God has blessed them and helped them and answered prayer years later and, and just been there for them. They've never, as far as I know, they've never been in want. But he resisted that lure, that lure that Lot took. Because Lot, if you haven't studied, you know, we're going to go, we're going to be covering that at some point this year. The story of Lot. Things did not go well for Lot. Because he fell for that lure of fertile fields. And continuing on to Genesis 25. And this will be the last Genesis one. No, we're not, we're not going to do like three or four in every book of the Bible. Um, Genesis 25, beginning with verse 29. Once when Jacob was cooking a stew, Esau came in from the field exhausted. He said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stuff because I'm exhausted. That is why his name is also He's also named Edom. Uh, Jacob replied, first sell me your birthright. Look, said Esau, I'm about to die, so what good is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore to Jacob and sold his birthright to him. Then Jacob gave bread and lentil stew to Esau. He ate, drank, got up, and went away. So Esau despised his birthright. He did not care at all about his birthright. Esau had fallen for the lure of appetite. Um, he had thrown away what was valuable to satisfy an appetite of his. Let's look at Joshua. Joshua chapter 7, verse 21. This is, this is uh, Achan. He is confessing to Joshua. 
Achan had committed a great crime against God. He disobeyed God. And Achan said, God told the Israelite people, when, when, you, uh, uh, when you take out uh, Jericho, you're not to take anything from it. And uh, Achan, uh, he violated that. Verse 21, when I saw among the spoils a beautiful cloak from Babylon, 200 silver shekels and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. You can see for yourself, they're concealed on the ground inside my tent and with the money under the cloak. And, and Achan had fallen for the lure of money. And from that, he lost his life. I, and we see people, uh, Christians, uh, fall for the lure of money. They get caught up in the, and they end up in churches. There are people who, who are guilty of stealing from the church. Um, uh, people who are guilty of um, taking a job they know is wrong because it just pays well. I, one guy tried to convince me that uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't wrong to uh, take a job as a bouncer for a strip club because he needed a job, and it was a good-paying job, or a bar, bouncer for a bar too. And uh, I wasn't going to bite. A lot of people have fallen for the lure of money. And then there's First Kings, First Kings chapter eleven. Chapter 11, in, in the first verse, King Solomon loved many foreign women in addition to Pharaoh's daughter, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidian, Hittite, from the nation the Lord told the Israelites about. God told Israelite people, don't intermarry with them. They must not intermarry with you because they will turn you away from me to their gods. Solomon was deeply attached to these women and loved them. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines, and they turned his heart away from the Lord. When Solomon was old, his wives seduced him to follow other gods. and He was not completely devoted to the Lord his God as his father David had been. Solomon was the wisest man in the world, and he still allowed himself to be drawn in by the lure of sex. And he disobeyed a law that God had given them, and, and exactly what God said would happen. God said, they will turn you away from me, and that's what happened. All his... His uh, uh, pagan wives turned him away from them, seduced him, 
to follow their gods. Let's look at one more uh, lure from the Bible all the way in Mark chapter 10. Verse 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, approached him and said, Teacher, we want you to do something for us if we ask you. What do you want me to do for you, he asked them. They answered him, Allow us to sit at your right and your left in your glory. They wanted, they, they had fallen, these disciples of Christ had fallen for the lure of ambition. They wanted to follow Jesus, but they wanted to be high-ranking officials in Christ's kingdom. And Jesus told them that wasn't his to give. But ambition continues to draw us away from God. How many times have I had men uh, who would call me or text me, you know, sorry, I, I, I wasn't in church this week uh, because I worked overtime or I did this other work-related thing or, you know, don't ever make it to the Bible studies because, you know, I'm, I'm busy with work or that. I'm trying to climb the ladder, trying to get a higher salary, a better position, better pay. Ambition, that's being placed as the person's God, and they're drawn away from the Lord that way. Besides these biblical ones that we have exact examples of in the Bible, I thought of a couple other ones, a couple other lures. One is the lure of not rocking the boat. I know I should stop doing something. I know I should take a stand and stand out among the people that I'm with, but I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want to cause problems. I don't want them to accuse me of being a Jesus freak or a, a holy roller. I don't want to rock the boat. So I'm just going to... I, I know I, I shouldn't be involved in this, but I'm not going to say anything. And I'll just ask God for forgiveness later on. And there's another, the final lure that I want to talk about today is the lure of zero momentum. A body at rest tends to stay at rest. And, and somebody's a certain place in their life and they, I've had so many people tell me how they want to make a change. They want, they know they need to make a change. It's important. People, oh, you know, my my kids are growing up, and and I I I I want to make, you know, I know I need to make some changes in my life, or um, and multiple people, and they never move from that spot. They might start to come to church, and then it just fizzles out. And then I never hear from them again because they're stuck. They're, they don't, it's so much work to move. Oh, I don't know. 
you know, oh, I should stop you know, smoking at some point, or I know it's wrong to I, I go out and party every night, um, and I know I shouldn't be living with my uh, boyfriend or girlfriend. I know I shouldn't be doing that, Pastor, but we have to move out and... Zero momentum. They, they, they can't move. It's too comfortable where they're at. They know they should. Like somebody who's sitting on the couch and 100 pounds overweight and they know they need to put that bag of potato chips down and at least go for a walk and start exercising. They know it would be good for them. They know they're going to die very early if they don't make changes in their life, but they're so comfortable. Because the comfort they feel is more real than the reality of hell. And I think I, if, if, if I had recently read uh, the screw tape letters, um, I would have lots to talk about temptation. I could probably do a whole, I could do a whole series just on temptation, by the way. Because today we're just going to barely touch the surface. There's lots of valuable insight and truth and lessons on temptation. Um. And if you haven't read the screw tape letters, that can be one of your books. You read this, the Christian books. I encourage everyone to read at least one Christian book a month. Try to read at least one a month if you can. And that's one of the and screw tape letters is all about temptation because the battle is won and lost at that point. Everything the battle's in your head. Everyone's head. And by the time you act on anything that's been going on in your head, the battle has already either been won or lost. And temptation is a significant portion of that. It's the enemy trying to pull you away from God. Now, that was a long intro in today's lesson, today's sermon. Because I'm starting to preach on the life of Christ today, right? We haven't even gotten to the life of Christ yet. Uh, and I can see I'm at 27 minutes already. I think we'll be okay, though. I'll keep an eye on things. If we need to make this two sermons, we'll make it two sermons. But in the book of Matthew, chapter 4, if you want to follow... We see that Jesus was tempted. The Bible says he was tempted in all areas like us. It's just that he didn't sin. Well, what did he do to accomplish that? Let's look. 
In this, in this, uh, in this story, we'll see that Jesus is tempted with four sins all of us are familiar with. Verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Notice that it's the Spirit who leads and the devil who tempts. We know before that, that God doesn't tempt, it's, it's, it's the devil. The devil is a great accuser. The devil wants to see us fail so he can make God look bad. Did you know that? That's the whole point of it. God and the devil are in some kind of significant philosophical argument on the human experiment. We see a bit of that in the book of Job. The devil is trying to show, trying to prove God wrong about Job. And so the devil, he's accused us, so he's going to try to entice us to disobey God. And he does with Jesus here. Verse 2, after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, I, I can imagine. So then the tempter approached him and said, if you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. So we see this first uh, temptation is to distrust God. Take care of yourself. But Jesus uh, prove to me that by prove to me that you're the Son of God by taking things in your own hands. But Jesus said that this is but this is inappropriate because Jesus had emptied himself to become man. And he uses authority as God just to satisfy his hunger would be wrong. But Jesus answered and said, It is written. Man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. This, of course, is in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. Jesus quoted Scripture, quoted Deuteronomy as a response to the temptation. Verse 5, And the devil took him from the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will give his angels orders concerning you, and they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. We see that the second temptation is, is to try to force God to prove himself. Notice the devil used scripture to tempt Jesus. The devil will tell the truth when it suits him. But even he twisted this. Then the devil took him. Let's see, I read that part. Um, Jesus told him, verse 7, It is also written, Do not test the Lord your God. That's also from Deuteronomy. Chapter 6, verse 16. Verse 8, again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and, and their splendor. And he said to him, 
I will give you all these things if you fall down and worship me. Another temptation of worldly ambition. We mentioned ambition, didn't we? Jesus, the de- see the world belongs to the devil right now, so the devil had the right to give Jesus that. This was a temptation to him. Was it a temptation temptation uh, to bypass the cross? To be given authority without having to suffer the cross, maybe? All we know that was that it was a temptation to him. So, what did Jesus... And of course, he's also tempted him with idolatry to worship the devil. Uh, then Jesus told him, verse 10, Go away, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. And that's also Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13. Jesus had memorized a good bit of Deuteronomy. Memorizing the scripture, if you haven't made a practice of that, that's a good thing to do. Find scripture passages and verses that that impact you, that mean something to you and your walk with God and memorize those scriptures. Find scriptures that are going to help you deal with the temptations that you face and memorize them so that they're ready to go when the battle starts. Verse 11 then the devil left him, and immediately the angels came and, and began to serve him. I noticed in, in just kind of quick detour to Luke chapter 4, Luke tells the same story, but there's one slight difference that's interesting. Verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 13 After the devil had finished every temptation, he departed from him for a time. So Jesus, like us, this was not the only time in his life the devil had tempted him. It's the only time that's recorded in Scripture. Just like all of us, Jesus had periods of of temptation and periods of peace. In your walk with God, there are going to be times where you are on a spiritual mountaintop and life is good and you feel great and you're excited for God and sin has no shine whatsoever in your life and that's wonderful. Enjoy those times. They won't last. And there will be times in your life where you'll be weighed down in the valley and it will be dark and dreary and you plod along and you can't hear God at all and temptation is all around you, and and you don't know what to do. It feels like it's going to go on forever, but don't worry, it's not. It's only temporary. Just as the sun rises by day and sets every night, so our walk with God goes. So if you find yourself in darkness, remember that the sun is going to rise. And don't become complacent when the sun is up. 
because night is coming and it will be time for battle again. We, we so waste, I've wasted many times in my, my Christian, my walk with God, where things were great and easy, and I really should have, and I would slack off in my prayer life. And then the battle starts. And I'm not ready. Because I'm not prayed up. We learn a few things from uh, this exchange with Christ's temptation. Number one, we learn that no one is exempt from temptation. Even Jesus was tempted. Number two, we see that the best weapon to temptation is the Bible. Getting to know God's Word and using that in temptation. Don't try to reason with the devil. Don't try to strong-arm the devil. You'll lose every time. Don't try to outwit the devil. You'll lose every time. Just quote Scripture. Number three, being tempted is not sin. It's not sin. Some Christians feel guilty just for the fact that they've been tempted. That's not sin. It's giving in to the temptation that's sin. Number four, no temptation is irresistible. God makes a way for us every single time. There's a way out. It just feels that way because uh, strong desires in your heart. And finally, number five, find during temptation, God, during and after temptation, God strengthens us. If we look to Him, God will give us strength and encouragement. In Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 6, verse 13. Actually, 12. Let's start with 12. And therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey its desires. Do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons of her unrighteousness. But as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. We have a duty to resist sin and to cry to God for help and to, and to resist sin and struggle against sin and, and, to, and, and for our bodies to be used for righteousness. At one time we were slaves to sin. We are no longer now as Christ's followers. 
no longer slaves of sin, but we are servants of righteousness. We have a, a duty to God to resist temptation. But God wants to encourage us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I'm going to close with some encouraging verses here. Chapter 10, verse 13, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to humanity. God is faithful and He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation He will also provide a way of escape so that you are able to bear it. We can bear it. Don't think that you have no way out. And then Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18. For since he himself was tested and suffered, he is able to help those who are tested or tempted. Jesus knows what we're going through. He's been there. And He's able to help us and He's willing to help us. And then over to chapter 4, same in Hebrews, chapter 4, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tested in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us at the proper time. Jesus understands. And finally, 1 John. First John chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I am writing you these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. Be encouraged. As you battle with temptation, be encouraged that Jesus understands what you're going through, is ready and willing to help you. Be encouraged you can use the Bible to help you through any temptation. Be encouraged that God does not lock you in a temptation with no way out. Be encouraged, be encouraged that if you end up giving in to temptation, don't the devil tell you, and the devil will tell you, you're worthless. You might as well give up being a Christian. It's too hard to be a Christian. You're not good enough to be a Christian. Don't listen to any of that. Just get up, dust yourself off, ask God for forgiveness. Why? Because it says, if we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, and we can rely on His righteousness and say, Jesus, I'm sorry for doing this. I don't want to do this anymore. Forgive me. Help me, Lord, to withstand temptation.
we can see victory this year. I don't know what battles you face in your heart and life, but whatever it is, God can help you with it, help you overcome it. And this year could be one of the year that we, the spiritual growth I talked about, the spiritual growth could be the ability to finally overcome sin in our life. Let's stand. Well, I hope you enjoyed uh, today's episode. If you have any questions, feel free to email us at servantsheartchapel at gmail.com. Also, we have a website, servantsheartchapel.org. We also have a Facebook page. So you're welcome to check us out. Love to hear from you. Prayer requests, anything you may need. We are here for you. Have a wonderful and blessed day.